Welcome to Vino Week, episode 26, Culinary Schools, brought to you by Vino 101. All right, welcome to Vino Week. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. Al. Al here. We're uh, ready for, uh, we're ready to talk wine. And yeah, wine and, we're, and we're ready for 2016, so Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year to everyone. Yes, I hope uh, you cracked open some bubbly. Cracked open some bubbly, had a safe holiday. We didn't, uh, yeah, safe holiday for sure. We didn't, uh, we did, we had a few bottles of sparkling wine, I might say, over here. Oh, yeah. A couple here and there. Probably talk about a couple later on. That's for sure. Well, <laughs> speaking of speaking of uh, disappearing wine, uh, we can yes. dive into our first article um, about Domaine de la Romanie Canti. Looks like... Uh, um, a few cases have gone missing. Ah, just thirty-one. No big deal. It's thirty-one cases. Come on, what's the big deal? I, 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 I did. Like, a, well, what I'm, I, I was about to say. I love how the article, the bullet points of the article, um, are written at the top, so you don't have to read the whole thing. It's just becoming more and more of a for, for us millennials. Yeah. For, yes. True. Um, it says thirty-one cases have disappeared. Believe stolen. Poof. <laughs> oh, they disappear. Where did where where else could they go? Yeah, and, and out of a, a locked container. <laughs> yeah. But we, I mean we, this is what I found. They've you know, disappeared. What I, one of the things I found interesting is this was written in uh <clears throat> on the twenty fourth of December and it actually they were actually bonded into the port in October. Yeah. So the wine has been missing for a while. I think probably what happens is it gets sent from the producer, you know, via however it gets there. And then, you know, it's in this container and that's where it is. That probably wasn't the only wine in the container. There probably was, you know, I mean, hundreds of cases of wine of, from different producers in this in this one one single container. But somehow these disappeared during that period. And it usually just sits there. It sits, you know, in a controlled warehouse somewhere. Probably wine like that is probably in a warehouse. And um Hey, uh, it's 31 cases. Just to put this in perspective, it's uh, it's Doraine, it's uh, Domaine Romani Conti, uh, Eschizo, and the Romani Conti. And I think they're different size bottles. But if, if you just look on, I did a quick search on Wine Searcher, and I looked what one bottle would cost of uh, Romani Conti, and it looked like they go for about $12,000 a bottle the 2012 vintage, if you do that times 21, excuse me, 31 cases, you're looking at about $4.5 million worth of wine. Was that 12K for a 750 milliliter bottle? Yes, sir. Wow. (laughs) Run down and get you some before it goes away, you know? (laughs) Yeah, not this year. Um, $12,000. Well, and they said they, they, um, somebody was trying to sell... Or um, somebody's trying to sell a collector. I think that's what the article says for forty-eight thousand euros. They were two magnums. Yeah, yeah, special bottles. Yeah, that makes sense for twelve k. Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty nutty. So they're on the trail. Uh, they're investigating people. You know, talk to this guy who knows a guy that works on the docks, and they're they're on the case. They've been working on it for a while, and and not not. Not um, not to put put him to bed yet, I guess. But even Randy Randy Kerwan appears in this article too. Oh, Rudy, yeah, at the very Rudy, end. Sorry, I don't want to keep calling him Randy. Doctor Conti, um, exactly. <laughs> also known as yes, AKA Doctor Conti. That's really funny. Yeah, they put him in there. So you know, it just just goes to show you. I mean, thirty-one cases is not. I mean, that could. You could stack 31 cases in three rows up to your ceiling, and that's really all that is. That's not a whole bunch of space. You could stick that. You could easily put that in a little service van, and you're you're down the road. Yeah, I was like, I was thinking I could probably get that in my car. Yeah, so <laughs> so it's uh, it'd be you know you might have to put a couple on top, but yeah, you could probably get it yeah. all in there. <laughs> and I'd have an effective low rider, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of weight. So yeah, it's uh, we got more craziness, but it just goes to show you when something sells for, you know, that type of money, you know, ten grand and upwards for a bottle, 
you know, there's going to be pe- people trying to get a hold of it. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to ever buy any of that, but it'd be nice to try it sometime. I would definitely like to try it. Um, that's a, man, that's a lot of weight for one. Yeah. yeah. Um, weight as in cost. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you really got to, and this is, I mean, that's the super high end, super high end. I mean, that is literally the world's most expensive wine. So and people, it's collector wine, right? I mean, people are. Well, I think there's people in certain circles that, you know, we're not privy to that probably drink that on a regular basis because they can afford to. But, uh, yeah, your average Joe and even your unaverage Joe, I don't think so. So uh, uh, it probably tastes pretty good. I've never tried it. I've tried a lot of other interesting wines back in the day, but I've never had that wine. But uh, definitely got a good rep. And uh, those bottles, by the way, they're – you know, as far as fraud control, I believe that they have um, – I'm sure that they have all kinds of sophisticated type of uh, things done to the bottle or the label to authenticate, you know, whether it's real or not. Right. So um, I don't – haven't looked into it to see what it is, but they must at that. You know, you got you to gotta have something. They got to have batch numbers and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So uh, you want to you want to talk uh, we want to talk some wine geek language talk, right now or yeah, talk about talk um, <laughs> yeah. let's geek out yeah so the I mean the Wall Street Journal um, Letty is it Letty Teague it's Letty Letty Teague it wrote an article about some wine language or words that are used in 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 um, in describing wine there were a couple there that I had not heard before. Foxy being one of them. Yeah. I've, Foxy is, uh, that's a term that's always been associated, I thought, with like hybrids that are grown in the United States. And when you taste a wine, that's how I always associate it with. They have a, it's a very distinct aroma. And uh, it's, I've always, uh, it's kind of, God, it's, in the article it says funky and must musky i don't know if i would call it that. i would say funky probably but you can only you have to you have to smell it to know what it is but uh, usually you get it from grapes like bacanoir yeah. and uh stuff uh hybrids that are grown in the in the united states yeah um described it she, uh, she also wrote that it was uh it's more like an earthy den than the fox who lives in it Mm. Yeah, I, I could, I could kind of see that. I haven't smelled a fox den recently. I, I, <laughs> ever. I. <laughs> That's one of the things about uh, you know you read wine tasting terms and you're like, I mean, some of the stuff that people write, it's like, okay, where yeah. did you, where did you encounter that smell? <clears throat> I thought the most interesting one and the one that I come across a lot is reduced. Yeah, I, you know, but I. Um... <clears throat> Um, yep. Now a reduced wine, you know, for everyone out there, you know, when you make wine, there's a couple ways you can make it, you know, you can make it, you can make it as much as you want without the apps in the absence of air. And you can make it in, or or you can make it with a lot of oxygen. So you can expose the wine to oxygen, or you can cut down on how much is exposed to oxygen. And each way that you make it kind of has an effect on the way the wine ends up. So a lot of times if somebody's making – I'll try to make this quick, Bill. So if somebody's making wine and um, uh, they leave it in a tank too long and it gets kind of like a little stink to it, what they'll do is they'll open up um, they'll open up the tank and they'll run the wine through like an aerator and it blows off all of that stuff and you know kind of uh, heals the wine. So oxygen has a, a healing effect with wine, but it also has a negative effect also. A lot of – producers, especially for white wine, they try to keep uh, the amount of oxygen that's introduced to the wine to a minimum. So what happens is when a wine is reduced, when you open it up, uh, it smells, uh, it can smell like, um, like a matchstick. Like somebody just like lit them when you first light a match. So um, sulfurous to say. Yeah. And a lot of times you can get rid of that by just vigorously decanting it 
and or you can just pour it in the glass and you can swirl it around and, and in a few minutes it goes away sometimes it doesn't it just depends on how you know how impacted the wine is but that's what reduced is so a lot of times you'll be in a place and somebody will you know you just open up the wine and people will smell it and the wine geek in the corner will go oh this wine's reduced that's what they mean um a similar term that i had not heard um <clears throat> I, I want to say similar but um, similar in the context that something's happened to the wine is dumb. Yes. Um, that I had not, I've never heard anyone say dumb wine. Um, yeah. Yeah. And dumb, what dumb denotes is it's just another way of saying that the wine is not very expressive. And, you know, you find with all these terms in the wine world, it's kind of like anything else. Once you learn, you know, some of the, some of the jargon, you know, you can use other words to describe it, but I mean, really, it, all it is is this, it's a way of saying dumb. Oh, this wine is not is um, I really can't. I'm not smelling anything. Right. Another word they use is they say this wine is not showing very well, right. which means it's, um, it's yeah, I've just, heard that. I've heard that a lot. Right. I've you know, I don't want to say it, a lot's not right. I've heard that wine. I've heard that term used instead of dumb. Yeah. And that's where the whole thing about uh, decanting wine and letting it breathe comes about, because a lot of times you open up a wine and it isn't really showing very well. You don't get much. You're like you're smelling. You're trying to get stuff out of you're like, you know, it's, it's what's going on here. And if you if you let it hang out for a little bit, sometimes they'll come around. Sometimes it'll take a day, maybe even two days, depending on the type of wine for the wine to come around. So um, it's it's a, it's a good term to know and to know what it means. And a lot of times also, if you have a wine shipped to you, like you buy some wine online and it gets shipped to you and it travels from, you know, travels a, a thousand miles, it's always a good idea to let the wine hang out for a week or so and settle down from its um, travels because um, it gets shaken up and sometimes it doesn't show as well then. And the same thing happens, I guess you could call it, you, you've heard of the term bottle shock, right? Yep. Yeah. So it's the same thing when the bottles are... Um, wines taste incredibly different. If you ever get a chance, you go to a winery and they're bottling, ask them to try one of their wines that's just recently bottled <clears throat> that you know, and then you can see what they mean by bottle shock. Because when the wine gets moved from a tank, it's all set. It gets moved from a tank. It goes through all these pumps, hoses, filters, whatever. It 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 uh, it becomes dumb at that point, typically. And uh, usually what wineries do after they bottle is they'll put the wines back in their cases and let them hang out in the warehouse for a while before they send them out to the public so that they're showing the best that they can when they arrive for people to consume. There you go. There you go. But, so this is a really good article, people, if you want to learn you know, some of the, the little geeky terms that are out there and you want to know what they mean because you have experienced them when you actually try the wines and maybe you're not sure how to communicate that and wine speak, and this would be a way to help you do that. Nice little primer on talking wine. Uh, let's. Uh, so, speaking of 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 sort of describing wine, uh, the press demo had an article about um, understanding wine pairing with food, and and sort of breaking it down on on why things match. So. You know, really pulling, um, you know, the some simple, I guess one of the, I don't know, for me, one of the concepts that matter in sort of all these things is the, the contrast that you get between things. So if you're ever, um, ever involved in food preparation, you know, you will definitely hear about making a dish that has elements that contrast each other, um, that... Um, will help the food pop or give some unique uniqueness into the dish. And what? Uh, and this is a guy named Bill St. John who is not a staff writer for the PD, but it looks like he's somebody that's been in the business for a long time. But he breaks it down in sort of like the keynotes, you know, salt, sweet, acidity, um, and fat and alcohol, and sort of how all of these things work or can, can or cannot work in context or how they work in context with different types of foods. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really good article, actually. It's not real overly complex and really kind of breaks down, um, you know, if, if you want to think about pairing pairing wine with food. And if you've ever had, 
If you've ever had the experience to go out and have a meal where a chef put the meal together and worked with a winemaker to put the wines with the dishes that they made or made the menu that way, you really start to understand these things. Um, and you can see how the wine and the food work in tandem to actually enhance each other. Yeah, yeah. Bill St. John, he's a he's a guy. He's been a food and wine writer for forty years. It says. Yeah, for he writes for the Chicago Tribune. Oh, he's right? a Tribune guy. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's he. It's his byline. It doesn't say the Tribune, which is. And you can tell you can tell that he knows what he's doing and what he's talking about because the one point that you brought up is that it's, you know, it does seem like it's very concise and it's no nonsense and it really gets the point across very succinctly. And it's awesome. One of my favorite things that he brings up in there is he, he talks about what to do with salty foods. And one of my favorites is, and we actually did this this uh, weekend, is sparkling wine and potato chips. Yeah. Man, that's like one of the best combos ever. <laughs> Those are like two of my food groups. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, any food that's that's high in salt, you know, just – putting a nice bubbly next to it yeah, it's bubble. gonna be good times well so this is this is why um uh shellfish uh, well specifically oysters work right you get that brininess from the um uh from the from the muscle mm. that can be cut by that um those bubbles um it's uh this is a good article to understand some concepts and give you a, de- a departure point to do some experimentation yeah, and you you definitely get some good ideas out of this. And uh, I mean, the the photo that they have, they have a photo of uh, it looks like uh, fish tacos, yep. <laughs> fish tacos, and they've got a glass yeah. of uh, looks like a a glass of cabernet. Yeah, a glass of cabernet with the fish tacos. Now, who would think of doing that, right? No, yeah, I certainly wouldn't. I would <laughs> I would never think about. Oh well, and he says juicy Mexican slaw, and I'm like, what? And then, so, I, you know, you start reading, you're like, all right, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll have to maybe give that a try, you know. I mean, it's getting close to uh, football playoff season, Bill. So we'll, we'll be uh, trying some of these. Uh, we'll be trying some interesting foods because a lot of it is about you just, You decide what the food is going to be first. And, you know, probably for me it's going to be more beer than wine. But, you know, you never know. You can sneak a, sneak a wine in here every once in a while. So, uh Speaking of food, so yeah, on to food. There, um, Steve Hymioff wrote an article about. Well, the Culinary Academy in San Francisco shut down. Yeah, that's that's uh, boy, that's uh, that's some sad, sad stuff there. Very Which sad. Which I believe was a Lake Cordon Bleu um, affiliate, yep. or they own them. Yeah, it was Lake Cordon Bleu. That's what people called it, but that's what it was. Yeah. So um, you know. Uh, Interesting, and, and he lays out a couple of reasons why he thinks they might have closed. Oh, and one, one sec, one, it, it was the Culinary Academy in San Francisco, not the one in, in New York. Right, 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 right. Um, I, you know, he lays out that a couple of reasons, you know, of of why they they possibly could have closed. They did cite costs being too high. Um, it was one of the reasons they shut down. Steve said that, you know, they had a lawsuit, I think, it yeah, in twenty eleven, that um, the students had sued them. The students basically said they were they were sold a bill of goods. Effectively, they were sold that they would get a job and be able to pay their expenses. And you know, they left school with a hundred k in student loans. And you know, if you're going to be a chef, it a lot of it, a, a lot of it is uh, it's almost like an apprenticeship, right? I mean, you can go get. You're not going to walk out of culinary school, just like you wouldn't walk with sort of any degree and end up in the top of the heap where you know, you're going to be making 100K or more where you could pay off your 100K loan. You're probably going to end up working for you know, under 20 an hour you know, doing a ton of prep work um, you know, and working your way up. So they didn't disclose that in the, uh, well, I, you know, so shame on you as a student of not doing an investigation about the career you're going to go into and what it's going to take to get where you think you want to be. Um, I'm going to have to agree with you there, Bill. I mean, it's, you know, you need to, I mean, on, you man. know, pick off the rose colored glasses for God's sake. Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of people like, 
mm-hmm. as a hobby doing some of these things. And then, you know, going into do it every day is a big difference than, you know, pulling your pots off out of your cabinet in the weekend and cooking something up. So anyway, he, he, you know, he lays, lays out that, um, um, you know, basically saying, you know, kind of saying, you questioning whether there's an oversupply of chefs, um, and saying, you know, really two things are going on. Once, you know, the media is obsessed with, you know, how awesome being a chef is. And of course we have the food network and, yep. um, you know, top shows like top chef. So there's a bunch of spotlight on how awesome this is. And then he's saying that there's not enough, there, there's, there's not enough jobs. So, um, Bill, let, let me get this straight. You're saying to me, after I get my degree, I'm going to have to need more. I'm going to need to do more than just go down to the um, the beauty store and get myself some gel and spike my hair and um, wear uh, some really cool looking outfit to succeed. I'm not going to get on TV with just that. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. <laughs> Oh I'll also God. say you better have a pretty big personality oh, and sort of be charismatic if you want to follow that that route. Okay. So, and it, you know, we know, we know, uh, you know, we know chefs, right? Um, yep, and do. I've heard a chef we know prattle on about how useless culinary school graduates are. Yep. <laughs> no um, names mentioned. Yeah, no, but, I, you know. This is a person who has gone the route of not going to school initially and working their way up and, you know, hammering it out in a kitchen and then going back and getting that education that I think really refined it. But, you know, one of the statements that person made is that, you know, culinary grads, you know, you get in a kitchen, it's like, um, um, you know, here's a rack of lamb, French the rack of lamb, and they don't know how to do that, what that means. It certainly yeah. can't. And, and I think the other thing is you get in a kitchen, you got a French, a rack of lamb. It cannot take you four hours. Exactly. That was, I was just going to say that it needs to be done in like about 15 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cause there's going to be a time when you screw up that rack of lamb and there's one in the fridge uh, in your cooler and you got to get it done. You got to get it on the table. Yeah, yeah, you got to get it done. So, so the chef that. is going to yell to their sous chef or one of their saute chefs, French that rack of lamb. <laughs> and you better be able to get it done right now. Anyway. Um, and the way you learn that is actually by being and doing. You have to be in you an do it over and over yeah. and over. So and if you want if you want an idea of restaurant perfection, yeah, watch the watch the documentary Hero Loves Sushi. I haven't seen that. Yeah. And you will watch these guys work in kitchens and make the same exact dish for years. Jeez. (laughs) Over and over. Perfection. Mm. Every time you go to make the dish, make it perfect. Hopefully it's not scrambled eggs. No, it's not scrambled eggs. (laughs) It's sushi. Um, But I'm just saying, you know, so that's sort of the, you know, I think a lot of I think there are a lot of people who paid a lot of money. The school grew really quickly. Um, often in a downturn, when the economy goes south, people will go to school. I can't get a job, so let me get retrained. Um, they probably got overextended. The school grew, and you know it's tough in San Francisco for anybody who wants to live and operate there. It's expensive. So I, you know I think that's just a confluence of factors. Well, there's a point counterpoint on this. Uh, Steve Heimoff, he makes the note. I mean, his second big point is that there really aren't enough jobs for all the graduates from the schools. Right. Uh, I disagree with that. And there's another article out. Yeah, I know. That's funny, right? So, you know, bites, right? <laughs> yeah. And and he's he's essentially disputing the fact that there's 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 more than enough work for chefs. It's just it's a talent thing. Right. It's basically what he's saying. So, um he says it's a talent thing, and it's also it's an attrition thing. What happens is people get out of school, and this is what I think happens: they get out of school, and they're they they've got a big loan that they have to pay, and they go, "All right, I'm going to go," and and they apply somewhere, and they get in, 
But unfortunately, like you said, they can only get an entry level position to start out with just because they have the degree doesn't mean that, you know, they get vaulted to the, you know, the 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 room with the <clears throat> the windows and they're looking out and dispatching orders. They actually have to be down there cooking and prepping. So those jobs in San Francisco or I mean, we'll just use San Francisco. You you might start out at like 12, 14 bucks an hour. And I mean, I don't, you know, you can't, you can barely even live $14 yeah. an hour. Yeah. And especially in San, you're not going to live in, you can't live in San Francisco. So for one thing, they can't live in the city. They have to live on the, um, you know, out the outskirts and travel in every day, which is, you know, we've talked about this before and, and it takes a while for you to move up. I mean, you, it might take you a year to move up to where you're a sous chef. And even when you're sous chef, you might only be making forty five, fifty thousand, and that is not anything that you can live on and stay in the city with either. So a lot of these people get discouraged, and they have to jump into other positions at other businesses where they can afford to live, and that's what's happening because restaurants are like revolving doors. People come in, you know, they try to you know make it, and you know for some reason or another they if they can't handle the income and they can't live on that small amount of money they got to work somewhere else that's what's happening and and a couple of points there so um you know first of all your ability to move up if you just stick with it in the restaurant business is actually really good yep that drop the dropout rate you know people get i mean if you worked in a big kitchen you know in the basement hot sweaty cranking a bunch of dishes out or prepping all day long um, you're not going to do that very long if you just if you have any kind of skill and and just you know like pitch in. That's what I've noticed before. In that yeah, you can get to the line pretty quick. Yep, it's and then, getting it's getting from the line to the next to level the chef position because there's only one chef position. Yep. <laughs> and so, so you know once you get to the line, it's just about um, I think it's about just applying yourself. It's like you know hanging out. You know how so how do you do? You know everybody goes out. You know, a lot of times these chefs go out to eat somewhere after they've been on the line, you know, cooking all night. And, you know, that's where you meet other chefs. And the next thing you know, somebody's opening a restaurant. It's like you're getting along with that person. And they're like, why don't you come over and, like, hang out with us? And boom, you're, you know, you're now, you know, the chef de cuisine or something. Yeah. Um, I, I just it was trying to illustrate that if you stick with it, you know, you can actually get where you want to go. Nothing comes... I have yet to find a gig where you go to school and then walk out and into the, you know, bazillion dollar job. Doesn't work that way. I think the thing that really killed their business model, the school, is the return on investment. I mean, that's really what this is all about. Yep. If you get in and you spend eighty thousand dollars on your education, you got that loan. What you're gonna make in the business, you know, it it, it doesn't it doesn't pencil out. You know, it's kind of like going to, um, you know, you go to a UC school out here and you, you get a degree in, in history, uh, you know, American history, and you spend $120,000 on a degree. Well, that doesn't pan out either because, I mean, what are you going to do with that? Where are you going to work? You're going to have to get an advanced degree and spend more money. And even then, you know, you'll probably just end up like, you know, somewhere in the school system. If you want to work in history, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, I mean, what you do learn in history is uh, assimilation, analysis, and articulation of information. Yeah. Um, that's a white-collar gig right there. Yep. Um, yep. So, you know, it, you know, it really – I'm always amazed by people who said, hey, I went and took this course and I thought I was going to get this, you know, this things, these things are going to happen because I did this. It's like uh, the world doesn't work that way. Yeah, no, so, it doesn't. And I guess I didn't realize the other thing in the Eno Bites article, uh, Lake Hordon Blue Close, all their U.S. schools. What's that again? Lake Hordon, um, at the beginning of this um, Eno Bites post, it says um, the Career Education Corporation announced that it would close all 16 Lake Hordon Blue Culinary Schools in the U.S. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, uh... that, I didn't, that I didn't realize. Yeah, that's a big uh, – yeah, that's, and that's a kind of a – that's a big hit. What does that leave? That just leaves uh, the just Culinary the, Institute in St. Helena, right? Yeah, CIA. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Um, so they have is, one. They have one, which is probably um, not a bad thing for 
you know, upping the ante on the schools. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's just it's it's kind of sad, but I mean, when you have a when it, when you have a, a lawsuit that big, and then you lose the lawsuit, and there's a payout. I mean, the payout was uh, forty million dollars. It it'd be hard to see how they could how they could weather that anyway. And Alton Alton Brown stated on Twitter, as far as I'm concerned, like Cordon Bleu's a culinary puppy mill. Ouch. And that is that is that Ouch. is not very good praise. <laughs> wow. Ouch. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about this, if you, uh, you know, famous celebrity chef Gordon Ramsay, dig into his background. He will, he will articulate to you. school, I bet. He did not. And he will articulate to you when he, he like packed bags and ba- bags of baggage and went to France, got on the line. And I can't remember the, the famous restaurateur that he actually worked with, but, uh, he will talk about basically living underneath a staircase in Paris yeah, for, like one of our, a yeah. Couple, for a couple of years. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to, I mean, you just have to learn the techniques. I have a, a good friend in the business. Um, and that's what he did. He went to Spain and Portugal and he, he did all of this under the guise he worked at a restaurant here and then the owner would send him to other places to learn different techniques and, and learn different different ways to prepare things. And it's really about your exposure to as many different people doing as many different things. It's kind of, it's, it's perfect for learning on the job. Yeah. You know? And you know, these guys will all tell you that when they weren't working, they're, they're like practicing their craft. Yep. <laughs> you know, you know, most chefs will tell you, Oh, first thing you should do is go buy a couple dozen eggs and start making an omelet. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, we talked about this gentleman just passed away recently. Paul Perdome was a self-taught chef. Yeah. Learned from his uh, learned from his parents. Yeah. So there you go. So it can be done without paying a hundred k. Yeah, I guess, is that the moral of the story? I guess that's going to be the way it's going to be because there's very few places where you can you won't be able to pay a hundred k anymore for you it. Know, there's no shortcuts, and work is work. Come on, Bill. Where's the easy button? Mm, no such thing. You get lucky. <laughs> You can get lucky. It happens. Get lucky. A lot of it's All right. So where do we head from here? Oh, celebrity chef. More celebrity chef. Guy Fieri. Oh, more celebrity chef. He's stuff. taken down. He's taken down Johnny Garlics. <laughs> uh, not so not so fast, my friend. Yes, his partner Steve Gruber has filed a, a a petition. I guess is what they call it to stop the dissolution. But so. Uh, so explain to me, Bill. I'm the, the the verbiage, the words. I'm not understanding. He says he's he filed guy filed for a dissolution. What does that mean? Is he going to just close the restaurants? Yeah, they're going to dissolve the the corporation that owns the restaurant. They want to dissolve that corporation, and okay. I assume written into the articles of incorporation, there's some language that explains how and why that can happen. Okay. Okay. Um, so he's got quite a few restaurants that would be uh, shutting down. Yeah, I you know I think what he you know really doesn't explain any reason why um, he wanted to do that. I assume Guy probably wants to get his he doesn't want his name associated with it. Yeah, yeah, he's already he's on to other things. <laughs> so you know he's yeah, got that's kind of what's going on. He's got other restaurants. You know, he's got one here. He's got Tex Wasabi's here in Santa Rosa, and he's got one. Uh, he has restaurants in Las Vegas and New York. He's got. I'm pretty sure he's making food products, um, and cookware. Um, so he, you know, he's got a lot of uh, other business interests. He might just want out of this. Um, why he'd want to take down the, like I don't understand why they there isn't some language that they can just. You know, one can buy the other one out without. Well, here, and I'm company. glad you brought that point up. You know, this whole thing of partnerships. Apparently, they have a 50-50 partnership, and you know, I I can speak from a little experience here. <laughs> when you go into a partnership with somebody, you know, a business partnership, one of the most important things that you should do is have a partnership agreement that's drawn up to explain what happens when one partner is no longer there or doesn't want to be a partner anymore. That's probably the single most important document that you could actually put together. 
And most people don't do that because they don't think that far ahead. It's kind of like a prenup for business. You better paper everything. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so now he's in a he's in a big legal brouhaha. And the reason why I'm just reading between the lines is he the the guy wants to continue operating the restaurants, his partner, and he doesn't want. And it's as simple as well. How much is it going to take for you to buy me out? Well, he's saying I don't want to buy you out. Let's just close them down. So that's where the that's where the the fight is. Yeah. And uh, I bet you, I mean, I think he owns like they own probably five or six restaurants together, you know, all over the U.S. of A. that I believe. And um, actually, they um, they're partners in Tex Wasabi also. That's right here in town. Santa Rosa. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're talking a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking a lot of money. So I can see why he'd rather close them down than not pay out the money to his partner. I get that. But I don't think it's going to be that easy. There's going to be a fight on it. They're, they're, they're going to definitely have to fight this one out. And it looks like I'm just, I'm just, this is my prognostication. I'm guessing that if he wants out of the business, if he really, really wants out, he's going to have to pay up. I, there's only, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, we'll see. We'll yes. see. It, it, yeah. It's, so, uh, you know. So the guy that his partner is actually the he's the he's the CEO of the of the chain. He's the guy that's actually been running the chain, you know, and is is probably a little bit more hands on than Guy is. You know, Guy's the face of the of the chain of the right. chain. Right. And this guy's like, you know, he's he's the actually he's the guy that's freaking doing all the paperwork <laughs> is, is the way I read it. Gotta love it. Gotta yeah. Love yeah. It. So there's uh, uh we can keep moving here and sort of talking about there's another article in the press demo um a lot of tape beer uh, like tap rooms and bottle shops let me just say it this way there's a lot of retailers who are selling alcohol who are now um opening tasting rooms in their facilities um one of the most unique ones that i saw um when it opened a couple years ago is the uh, Whole Foods in Cottingtown Mall here in Santa Rosa actually has a beer tasting room inside of it. Awesome place! Um, that's so cool. It is. It's. I, I was like, wow, it's a, it's a brilliant idea. They also have a very large selection of beer and wine. They also have beer making equipment that you can buy there. You can buy like beer. You can buy, um, you know, your malted stuff in in bulk there, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, I think. But the article is just kind of talking about how this is becoming more prevalent. Earlier in the year, we talked about Starbucks experimenting with uh, nighttime um, beer and uh, wine and food pairings. You can get a glass of wine and a bite at at uh, um, at Starbucks. In fact, the Starbucks where this Whole Foods is that I'm talking about is actually the Starbucks at night, which is the whole um, uh, wine and cheese pairing thing. Uh, but they're just going on and talking about different businesses in the area that are doing that. I think it's an interesting concept. I think it's a great idea, too. Yeah, it's a great idea. And the one thing I got out of the article was, I mean, a lot of these are like, um, these are specialty specialty grocery stores, you know, whatever size they are. The one thing in the article, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's three words, it says making shopping fun. And I can't think of anything more fun than going in, uh, <laughs> having a nice my nice micro brew that you've had, you know, trying like a few different micro brews and then going around and shopping. That sounds pretty fun. Yeah. And, I, and they're, and they're all over, like even our, in, uh, here in Sebastopol, there's a, um, uh, a, a, a grocery called community market. Yep. They have an awesome tap room that, um, you know, is open, you know, in the early afternoon up until they close. It's a great place to go try beers. So uh, the, it's the pretty beer, great. The beer craze in Sonoma continues unabated. Unabated, unabated. Um, we're getting to be like Portland. What does it say in the article? There are 84 metro breweries in Portland. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I just yeah. saw a new one opened up on Pine Road the other day. It's got another one. Yeah. Open it's it up. Keep going. So let's uh, let's transition to uh, the sharing economy. So there is a startup delivering wines by the glass. That's pretty cool, huh? That's, 
Did you uh, did you listen to the video? I didn't listen to the video. Okay, just check it out. But anyway, yeah, this company is um, it's called Vinebox, and uh, you get on their list, and they'll uh, they'll uh, it's a subscription service. So um, you can, I guess, you have to sign up, and then they'll send you uh, three individual vials, the equivalent of three glasses of wine each month. It's not bad for thirty five yeah. bucks. That's actually. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, and then you you get the tasting notes and pairing recommendations, and um, you also have the ability to buy full size bottles from their website once you decided, you know, hey, this is pretty good. I'd like some more of this. So that's their uh, and and it looks like they're getting ready to ramp it up yep. uh, in in a big way. And they got some big money behind them. We'll have to we'll have to uh, reach out and see if we can. Uh participate and review yeah it's a nice little package i love the uh, it's very smart looking the picture when they have the and they'll have wines from all over so it's uh it, but it's a, a smart looking package i wonder how they're going to work that as far as deliveries during the heat of the summer so i'm just kind of you know i'm thinking ahead <laughs> i'm just wondering how that's going to work out so uh keep an eye out that that's uh, starting up pretty soon and uh we should definitely try to contact these people and, and see if we, see can, if we can talk to them yeah get on there yeah so the our list. final uh our final it's or, gonna be a rough year for sommeliers <laughs> well you know is that is that an oxymoron there's <laughs> sommeliers in a year kind of hard well the, the i when i read this article i mean i was this, i was struck it's um it's. It was written by Levy Dalton, and he, and he used he used to be a psalm. I guess you're always a psalm once you've been a psalm, but uh, it's really, really well written, and he's got the point counterpoint for just about every point. And uh, it is, you really know, if you well, if you're in really, the business, yeah, it's really well laid out. The article yeah. uh, laid out in terms of uh, of what you just said. There's point counterpoints to everything. It's a must read for somebody that's in the business and uh, for for consumers also. What um, did you get a chance to? Yeah, I did. I read it. I really liked just. I, I like the points that he made. I mean, they you know they just make sense in terms of you know. There's a lot of you know the millennials. I keep hearing about the millennials, like that trend, the trend of talking about millennials and how they're going to change the the um, the market has not died down. Um, in fact, we were talking with a winemaker a couple of weeks ago, and he brought it up. Um, and I also think it's, you know, the technology that's being brought to bear on connecting people who drink wine is going to make an impact. So the Internet, uh, sort of on uh, the network and the Internet and, this, you know, the, the, all the wine forms that are out there as well as the applications, you know, are definitely, I think, going to, make an impact yeah it's uh the one thing in this article the one thing i key in on and i can't wait to see what happens is the restrictions for for restaurants being able to purchase wine from private collections i i really think that's going to change the market or the restaurant um, market in new york in the in the state of new york and uh that'll be huge it's really going to change what you see on the list because it's going to become more standardized. The nice thing about dining in New York is when you go there to different restaurants, it's pretty easy not to see the same thing over and over again. And what these restrictions do is it's going to, it's going to make everything more standardized where you go to one restaurant and you're going to see the same list over and over again, same things on the same list. So less, uh, less choices for the consumer is never a good thing. For sure. So yeah, uh, any wines to recommend? Uh, well, keeping in, yeah, I do have a couple. Keeping in uh, trend with the bubbly, we've been popping quite a few of those. The first wine I want to talk about it's um, it's Belle Cassel, Asolo Prosecco Superiore Extra Brut. Now that is a mouthful, huh? It is. <laughs> it's B E L E C A S E L. So hopefully, I'm pronouncing that correctly. But extra brute denotes that it received a minimum amount of dosage. I think it's down to like four grams per liter. So it's uh, it's mouth puckeringly uh, dry, but in a pleasant way. 
uh, light straw uh, color. Um, on the nose, you get white peaches and green apples, which is like maybe like a, a, a touch of lemon. Uh, it's 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 really elegant, super bright acidity. Uh, goes great with potato chips. <laughs> it's crisp and um, as we were mentioning earlier. Yeah, so I'd serve it with, uh, and you can have it by by itself, but it would be just fantastic with uh, oysters, um, all types of like uh, seafood appetizers, and uh, you can also have it with salads and like really like lightly seasoned seafood dishes. So it's it's a beautiful wine. There's not a whole bunch of it made. It's uh, imported by Chambers and Chambers, and you should run to the store and get some of this if it's available. It's twelve dollars a bottle. It's not your average uh, supermarket Prosecco. It's Prosecco on steroids. It's really good. There you go. Um, my other wine that I tried, we're on the, sticking with the red and the, the white and the red tr- trend. Had a bottle of Kaken, Kaken Ultra Malbec, and it's uh, 2013. Yeah, it seems like I'm on a Malbec kick lately, huh, Bill? Indeed. <laughs> well, uh, this is uh, – it's all Malbec. It's 100% Malbec. Kaken is the uh, is the uh, Argentinian um, uh, offshoot of uh, – I'm having a mental block here. I'll write it up in my notes. But uh, the main winery is over in um, in Chile, and this is their uh, their Argentinian this is their Argentinian post. It this is a fantastic bottle. I mean, um, black fruit, uh, cocoa. Uh, vanilla it's very very smooth um i guess i should use the word elegant smooth is not such a good word but uh it's very elegant uh silky uh silky tannins and um you know it's not like one of those big super power malbecs it's just uh you could have it on its own you could drink it yeah you could drink it on on its own and but you, you could also have it with some nice, um, really flavorful meat dishes. Yeah, Montez. Montez is the. Uh, the um, ah, the thank offshoot. you, thank you. Yes. Aurelio Montez. He's the yeah. winemaker. Yeah, and that's a big. That's like big. I think the largest wine company yeah. in in Chile. So uh, it's fourteen and a half percent alcohol. Um, there's a lot of it out there. It's got a pretty good distribution right now, but it's going to go fast. So if you like. Um, uh, hearty reds um, that are delicious. Also, um, I would recommend you go out and get some of this right away. That's what I got, Bill. What do you got? Um, Twenty twelve estate Pinot Noir from Schoen Farms. Um, it's a very true to type um, Russian River Valley Pinot Noir. Um, uh, you know, I wouldn't exactly um call it a fruit bomb but it's definitely got those fruit notes it's black black and red cherries got pomegranate um and then it's got a little bit of sort of earthiness to it and and spice so it um you know you get some mushroom kind of earth flavors in it too which i you know we like a lot but it's actually made shown farms is actually the farm for uh, Santa Rosa Junior College. So a lot of people go there to learn about the culture and actually experience it. So when you take their courses, you actually go and work on the farm um, and also participate in making wine. Um, and they have a tasting room. I'm, I'm, it used to be, I think it's over by, um, they might have moved it now to the Culinary Cafe. But anyway, you can buy this online. It's 18 a bottle. Um, you can actually have it shipped or you can go pick it up at the farm. So give it a whirl support. And it's also all the money obviously goes to support the, the JC. So it's good stuff. And you said you could go online, right? To get that. Yeah, you can go online. Okay. Where did you get it? You know, I, I, it's why am I asking? It's cause I'm going to go get some myself. My (laughs) wife bought it and I think she picked it up. She might have picked it up at one of the markets locally. Okay. Um, and it was either Oliver's or um, could have even been Whole Foods or Pacific Market. I'll find out for you. 
All right, yeah, you're, you'll be supporting, uh, you'll be getting a great bottle of wine and supporting uh, the future winemakers of America. So uh, definitely uh, do that if you can. That's a great location, by the way. That is in the heart of Russian River Valley over there off of, um, it's off of east, the side, east Side Road. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's it literally it if you're in, if you're in the area, it's worth going by. Yeah, so you learn. Don't they have a big show there every year? Like, uh, isn't there some type of fair that they have there also on the ranch? That I don't know about. I do know they. Uh, one of the things I've been wanting to go to that I um, I haven't is they have like uh, they have like grape harvesting competitions and then they have uh, pruning competitions. Oh. And that would just be, that would be interesting to go take a look at. I mean, if you ever watch some of these folks actually work in the vineyard there, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, back in, uh, I, I might have mentioned this on a previous episode, but I've, I've done the pruning one winter just to, you know, know how to do it. I participated in it and no thank you. I'll pass on doing that. Over yeah, well, I mean, it's farm work. It's farm work. I mean, it's, you know, you're out in elements. It's, you know. And it, it, you know, it's cold right now here. <laughs> yeah, raining. it's cold. But 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 the good thing is, and you just mentioned it, it's raining. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we're. I'm, I'm happy that we're not going through that trend that we were, that we had last year, where it rained like the Dickens in December, and then January it stopped and didn't rain again. Yeah. So it looks like we're uh, we're back. It's supposed to rain all week. So yes. yay! The river of water is on its way. The Fantastic. atmospheric river. We're ready. Water of life, as uh, Dire Straits would say. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, so hey, you can get a hold of us by uh, emailing us at info at vino101.net. You can obviously hit our webpage at vino101.net and leave a comment. You can hit us on the Twitter at twitter.com slash vino101net altogether, no dot. Uh, like, like us on our Facebook page. That helps. And uh, uh, leave a review on iTunes and... Um, have a great new year. Yeah, we've been getting uh, a few questions from people via Twitter, and uh, we love the questions, so keep them coming because we're not short on opinions. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. But that's, hey, that's what makes it great. <laughs> All right, Bill, thanks. And right. uh, hey, everybody, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll uh, catch you on the next episode of Vino Week. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.